Hey, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 5 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Sandemeyer, and I will be your host. Each episode, I will be having transparent conversations with people who care about you and desire for you to be healthy, resilient, and confident in your life and as you pursue your mission. I know that one of the biggest roadblocks to health, resilience, and confidence is lack of clarity. I believe that the transparent conversations we will be having and the life stories that we will be hearing will be invaluable for both you and die. Today we have the amazing opportunity to sit down with Crystal Martin and we will be discussing the growth area of self-leadership, exemplifying evidence of growth in leadership characteristics. Crystal leads on a very high level. She's a female leader and she's going to provide some very interesting insight for us for males on maybe sometimes how we put females in niches and limit or impede their growth in leadership. And then also for females, she's going to talk about some pathways and some encouragement and give you some direction and lessons she's learned over the years in leadership. I think this will provide valuable insight whether you're a team member or you're a team leader. I think this is valuable insight if you're a business leader or wherever you're at. I think it's an important conversation that needs to happen so that we can become more aware of how we're leading ourselves and how we are growing as learners. I read the book on developing female leaders. Phenomenal book, but it really challenged me and Crystal also challenged me on some certain areas as a male that I am unintentionally but maybe impeding or blocking and maybe some ideas I have in my mind that aren't really necessarily Christ-like when it comes to females in leadership and then beginning to deal with those and valuable conversation, insightful conversation. And I think, like I said, I think you're going to want to take notes. So no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Well, greetings and welcome to the Clarity Podcast. It's our honor and pleasure to be here today with Miss Crystal Martin. We're excited to be with her and learn from her. She has a uh, fascinating story. I don't really know her that well, but I'm excited to know more about her today. <laughs> and so, Crystal, will you just share a little bit about yourself for the African missionaries and the listeners of this podcast? Yeah. So just quickly, I think it might be good to start with my call moment since we're talking to African missionaries, because I think it kind of puts in perspective who I am and what I do and why I do it. But I am rooted in Chi Alpha. So my husband and I are both leaders in Chi Alpha. I'm on the executive ministry team with Chi Alpha leading our cross-cultural missions work. My husband is the executive senior director of Chi Alpha. And in that role where we really got started as young campus missionaries, at the University of Arizona, we were leading a missions trip into Morocco. And it was one of the first time that a student group was going into a fairly restricted country. And we were planning with a missionary, an AGW missionary, and we were down in the basement of an Assembly of God church that had that basement odor that you guys can all probably smell it with me. So we were in this basement planning a two-week mission trip. I was excited to go on. And while we were down in this basement, the Lord just impregnates me with a call, if I could say it that way. And it was just this simple. It was lead this generation to the nations. And I somehow knew being a young woman at 23 with almost no cross-cultural experience, a white girl that had been to Mexico, (laughs) lead, lead this generation to the nations was daunting. I was unprepared, but I felt something big in my belly. And I felt like the Lord speak to me that he was going to use Chi Alpha 
this was 25 years ago, to open a new pipeline into the nations. And then he said to me, it's not about Chi Alpha. It's about my plan for this generation. And it was something just big was came in me and I didn't even know how to tell my husband about it. We were very newly married. And so about two weeks later, we had a conversation where he came to me. He said, Crystal, when we were having that meeting, preparing a trip to Morocco, God really spoke to me. And I said, I know, I know what he said. He's calling us to lead this generation to the nations. And so that real call moment as in many ways, a missions mobilizer, which is a unique call yeah. came 25 years ago. And it caused us to really shift our ministry. We left our position as missionaries at the University of Arizona and stepped into a role as expeditions directors with Chi Alpha. So a little bit about myself is I have that strong missionary call. I know God has asked me to lead this generation to the nations. That's where my heart and passion lies. And I also lead our network of women ministers for the Assemblies of God through my 25-year work with young missionaries, both AGWM and U.S missions through Chi Alpha. I have worked with some of the greatest talents with our female ministers. And so really working, empowering women to fulfill their ministry call has been a passion of mine. And over the last couple of years, I've stepped in as the director of women ministers. And so, you know, a big piece of my passion is missions mobilization. And specifically, the Lord spoke to me about a decade ago, and he said, I've given you two boys to physically raise. I have two sons. But if you will open your heart to the spirit of adoption, I will give you thousands of young women to spiritually raise. And I know part of that is my commitment to the Muslim world as I've worked with Muslim students for years, but also young women called into ministry and seeing God really spiritually set them up into their destiny. Um, So that's a little bit about myself and where I am right now. And I'm really thankful for the ministry platforms I get to stand on. And over 25 years, getting to see Chi Alpha really become a new pipeline to the nations, getting preparing our fifth world mission summit. My husband and I have led those for the past 12 years, getting ready to have our fifth world mission summit in St. Louis, January 4th through 7th. And, you know, that's just been a very part of our passion and who we are and what we've seen God done in our time. That is amazing. That is amazing. Could you go a little bit deeper on missions mobilizer? You said that a few times. So just go a little bit deeper on what that means to you and your call in that specific area. Yes. Well, it was this passion for the nations. And I think all of us in missions at some point, that great commission is set heavy in us to go make disciples of all nations. And I just felt like about 25 years ago, we saw we were sitting on a gold mine of laborers with our Chi Alpha students having, at that point, we just we just began to see, man, these people have passport skills. Yeah. They have educations, they're engineers, they're doctors, they're lawyers, they're teachers, they're nurses. So their passport skills to get them into nations really elevated. So I think When you think about completing the Great Commission in our generation, you think about people like Mark Green, who are really working toward a Bible translation and getting the Word of God in every language. And I really felt like the call for us was boots on the ground, mobilizing our students to see beyond the American dream, which many of them were just kind of, it wasn't like they're bad people. It's just all that had been offered to them. Yeah, And so- 
when you take a generation that's passionate to make a difference, but the only way they know how to do it is the American dream, it's giving them another option. And I really felt like missions mobilization was opening up their heart to, of course, God's great love for the nations, but also how they can tangibly do it. And so the building blocks of mobilizations was really helping this generation know how they can do it. That's amazing. And so phrases came out like give a year and pray about a lifetime, yes. which was basically, it's not a legalistic thing. It's something to say, how can we do this? Well, anybody can give a year and all we need is the great commission. We don't need a magical call. You can do it because Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. But we know when people have that experience of knowing and loving and seeing the nations and people different from themselves, that's the like kindling for the call. For sure. And for sure. So we see long-term workers come out of that. So I'm a strategist at heart. I didn't realize that when I was young, but now that I've grown and done strength finders, helping create strategy to take a vision, Mm -hmm. which the Great Commission needs to be all of our vision, but to take a vision and say, how can that happen in our generation? That's what I put my heart and passion towards. That's amazing. Well, today we're talking about the subject of the podcast is personal leadership and how we lead. I think one of the struggles when we do lead is sometimes we can bump up against your passion is evident, but sometimes we bump up against people that maybe are critical of our vision, maybe critical of our mission or our desire. What have you done over the these last 20 some odd years have you done or what gives you clarity in the mix of criticism ambiguity when somebody is not seeing the passion that you have for your vision? Is there certain things that you do? Well, I think it's funny that you've led with that question because criticism and all my personality tests I've taken, I always am high on don't take criticism well. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. So so great job leading with like the hardest question. Sorry, 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 sorry. These are transparent conversations. So we're getting to the nitty gritty right off. Transparent. So part of it is when you're, especially when your vision is somewhat new, the Great Commission is not new, but some of our methodology. And I think within missions, it's more about methods. I think we all have the same heart. (laughs) We want to see, you know, the gospel spread. But when you're bringing in some new methodology, what has worked for me is finding the early adopters. Okay. And with any vision, there are people that are naturally going to come around that vision and are going to stand with it, you know, especially if it's a vision from the Lord, you know, and you know, there's passion behind it. And so I think for me dealing with criticism, especially in the early stages is to collect your early adopters, those that are going to stand with you, that are going to be passionate with you. And even with the vision of give a year, pray about a lifetime, that being one of the specific methods, it's not really a vision. That's a method to a accomplish the vision, there was, of course, criticism. Yes. What are we going to do with all these kids running around our countries? You know, I mean, that was real and palpable. And Lauren Cunningham had already tried it and Dave Gable had already tried it. And so like, we don't have time for these kids running around our nations. You know, that was definitely there by people that get it in many ways more than I do. And so you have to find people that can understand, okay, yes, these are kids, but these are kids with engineering degrees, special ed degrees. Yes, with a little bit of mentoring, these kids 
can actually plug in and become roots to change the world. And so some of it is finding those, then you create a synergy around the vision. And, you know, once you've created that synergy, then the others are kind of looking toward the synergy and saying, okay, now what happened? And maybe we can be a part of it. Now, personal criticism for me as a leader, not necessarily the bigger vision, that's something you have to listen to. You can't just push it off. I've had to learn how to be a listener and to actually sometimes I go and write it down. People at my level of leadership, because I'm in higher levels of leadership, I feel like people do criticism better because they've learned how. When you're in early level leadership, people are a lot more off emotion, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you're just young leaders and you're like, hey, that was terrible. You And they can be like emotions involved. I feel like at my level of leadership, if I have somebody in my sphere come to me, which I just had somebody do last week. And can I tell you it hurt, but I knew I had to listen because I let things kind of fall through some scaffolding, you know, some details. Cause I'm not a real detail person. I had to listen and I have to sure it up. And so I'm thankful that right now I'm surrounded by healthy people. Yeah. That criticism is coming from a right heart and yeah. I need to be a listener. Yeah. You talked about, you know, it is with criticism. It does hurt. You know, I mean, there's no doubt about it. What do you do with that hurt? Obviously, I guess the right Christian answer is you take it to Jesus. But is there a process that you go through on what you do with that? Because it is a reality. I know in my personal yeah. leadership yeah. and personal life, when you invest so much in something, it does hurt. But then I think it's what yeah. we do with that hurt in the future right. that makes it So what have you learned that helps you provide clarity with that hurt? Well, usually I buy myself a Diet Coke. Okay. Good deal. Hey, those (laughs) are available all over the continent. So we'll be good 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 on that. And I actually like Coke Light that you can get in other parts of the world better. So I'd buy myself a Coke Light if I was in much of the world. If I was in South America, I mean, South Africa, I might get an appetizer. Okay. Yeah, that's true. That usually helps me. Okay. Good deal. No, it's true. (laughs) Yep. So there you go. I get myself a Diet Coke. I sit down and I let myself feel it. Yeah. And I do feel it. And I give myself grace and I give myself one person to bring into the criticism, but not too big of a circle. Okay. If I can just keep it to one person. And I'm actually speaking from this happened to me just last week. Okay. If I get too many people in the emotional diet coke, this is what was said, it's hurting really bad, then I'm going to have to pick up the pieces when I'm thinking a little more straight later. So I just have one or two people close to me that I know are going to love me through the junk of the emotion. Mm -hmm. And I bring them in without bringing in a bunch of people and I'm a verbal processor. And so I need a couple people to process it with me. And here's what was said, or here's where I'm going and help me put this in perspective. What do I need to repent of? These are great opportunities when you get criticism to pay attention to how is this hitting me? Am I needing the praise of man more than the praise of God? Oh, yes. I'm caring more about what people think. All right. So it's people that help me process and get down to what do I need to repent of? Usually there's a something in there. And then out of this criticism, what do I need to take to heart? Yeah. And that's a good word. I actually need people. I can't yeah. do it alone. And I don't feel like it's gossiping. Yeah. It's people close to me. For sure. For sure. You know, I think that's what in ministry we realize it, it's a, it can be a very lonely place without others. And we do, we, for sure, we need others. What are you doing at the present time? It's obvious you said you're a strategist. You're obviously a very passionate leader. What are you doing to help 
in your personal leadership as you pursue growth in your personal leadership? Is there certain things that you're doing at the present time to help you grow and develop the skills and talents God has given you? Yeah. I mean, for me right now, it's very structured because I am in a doctorate of ministry program at AGTS, which is a very strong leadership growth track. And so for me, I've actually, in my past, I've been a journaler, a reader. I've done a lot of growth and learning, you know, just through those kind of mechanisms. I've always been thankful. I mean, I'm very good friends with Anita Koshel, who works with you guys with training. That's right. And like Anita and all of everything you're doing to offer training to your people, that's organic. And just because there's missionaries, they get to have all kinds of training. I feel like for me, I've had those kind of offerings through okay. podcasts, through meeting with Anita, through all the different things we do that has helped me really grow as a leader organically. That's awesome. And I work with such good leaders. And I am the type that if I see a good leader, my goodness, I pay attention to what I love about that leader. Right now I have three roles and my three bosses, so to speak, are Dr. Jim Bradford at Central Assembly of God. I'm on associate staff with him, brilliant leader. I just soak it up. I listen, I learn. Dr. Chris Raley, who is my, I don't know if you know him, but he's church leadership and development and directs CMN, Church Multiplication Network. He's a fantastic leader. I just watch him lead and I take notes not only on what he's saying, but how he's leading. Helps me run a meeting better because he runs a fantastic meeting. Okay. Jim Bradford leads with humility. And so it makes me think, wow, I can do this. And then my other boss is actually my husband. (laughs) Okay. And he directs Chi Alpha. So I sit on his leadership team and he is a visionary deluxe that knows how to take a vision and make it a reality. So watching other people lead is really been a gift to me. But right now with a actual doctorate program, I'm sticking to that structure to for grow sure. as a leader. For sure. Can I just add this too for your missionaries on the field who aren't always surrounded by great leaders? They might have a great area director, great within the AGWM structure, but their countries finding mentors can be difficult. And my husband and I spent two years in Central Asia. I really look toward principals at my kids' schools. Okay. Not just Christian mentors, but leadership mentors in sometimes unlikely places among the expat community, but places that you see, wow, that person is leading well, and I want to get to know what they're doing. That's Um, amazing. That's amazing. That can be a great a great gift. What female leaders are you learning from? You listed three guys. Oh, but yes, what because they're my bosses. <laughs> but they're your bosses. I'll be honest with you. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Mm-hmm. I love to learn from podcasts. Do you have any recommendations that would be something maybe diverse that might help us? Yeah. Well, I would say actually at the Network of Women Ministers, we have our own podcast. Great. So if you follow it, Instagram, it's AG Women Ministers is the handle, or you can go on Facebook and do the Network of Women Ministers, or you can go on our site and we do every other week. So twice a month, we're putting out a podcast. That's exciting. 
podcasts is myself and another female leader. She's a lead pastor. So the two of us are talking about some things that we go through as female ministers. So that one I would say is a little more geared to female ministers, although I believe your male ministers would get a really good understanding of what the Billy Graham rule looks like to us. Yeah, I just filmed a podcast specifically about the Billy Graham rule. And although maybe the audience is female, it would definitely give men perspective on what are women saying and thinking in these. So we do talk about some hot button topics in that. And then the other episode is we interview a leader, both male and female, but specifically those who are advocates and champions for women in ministry, like our general superintendent, Doug Clay. Yeah. Man, go on our website and download that because what he speaks over female ministers is powerful. And both men and women who are both lead pastoring, leading missions organizations in the field at all different places. So I definitely recommend that podcast. That's awesome. And we also are contributors to the new CMN training site. Okay. So that's another place that you're going to see female leaders on their podcast. That's awesome. Hey, you brought it up. So the Billy Graham rule, and you said you did a whole podcast on it. You mentioned it. Would you mind just spending a few minutes and camping out on that and sharing your wisdom with us on that? Yeah, I will. And I'll just ask all my brothers and sisters to love me afterwards. So the Billy Graham rule was put into place over seven decades ago when four men of God came together and wanted to walk in integrity. It was actually four different areas. I can't remember all of them, but one of them was financial integrity, ministry integrity, like number integrity. They were saying, hey, if we say there's 5,000 at our crusade, there's 5,000. We're not going right. to make it up. So, right. and four men were like going to keep each other accountable to that. The other was interaction with females. So, how do we make sure that we're pure? You know, in a day and age when there's all kinds of stuff going on. So, I would say I would never speak against a, a rule that four great men of God came about with in order to bring purity and holiness in their lives. I would say it was put into practice seven decades ago, and our culture has shifted so much. Back when they started, there really were not female ministers. And so you didn't have these needing to mentor both men and women or needing to work with both men and women. And so in our day and age, those concept of, I understand the need for boundaries in marriage, but I prefer to make boundaries, so to speak, between husband and wives, not universal. Because universal boundaries become legalisms that actually hurt women. And so I would say from my perspective, the Billy Graham rule has become a universal legalism that have contributed for women not getting the mentoring they need, not getting access to getting to places. I mean, I talk about in my context, which is within Chi Alpha, I work with brothers and sisters all the time. I lead men would call me boss. And if we needed to go to lunch and talk about what God is doing in and among us, all of our spouses would be like, hey, great. They have to get the job done. And so to get the job done, sometimes we got to eat together and sometimes we got to ride to a meeting together. And so the great commission becomes our standard and our relationships are like brother and sister. And it begins to unsexualize the relationship. When we sexualize all relationships, usually women get left out. So I would say husband and wives, if you feel you need the Billy Graham rule, then I'm all for it. But, and I would always 
I would never push anybody's boundaries. But okay. sake of women, the legalism, it, to me, it becomes a legalism. And I am very thankful that my husband and I have created our own way of loving each other well. And at the same point, my husband has meals with female all over the nation because we're ministering together. We're brothers and sisters, and we got to get this great commission done. Yeah, and so that's, that's my opinion. Yeah, that's interesting. I read, uh, I think it's Developing Female Leaders by, is it Katie Cole? I think mm-hmm. is her is it author. Great book. Oh, excellent. And she talks yeah. even, you know, I had never even thought about our theology of how we approach see women in leadership and what that looks mm-hmm. like. And then I think in the end, she talks about, I think it was John Ortberg's. He doesn't use the Billy Graham rule. He uses, what is it? Screen, sibling, and secret. So if there's anything that he's doing that he would not want projected up on a screen at church, that right. would be a boundary. Um, if he was yeah. anything that he would not do with his sibling, if he's doing things that would be you wouldn't do with a sibling. Right. thoughts about a sibling, you wouldn't do that. And then also the other one was screen sibling. What did I say? I forget the other one. But it was three S's and it really stuck out for me. That is probably more applicable in today's age and age because when you look at affairs and and she talks in that book, things that develop, they don't happen in Cracker Barrel over apple dumplings. They happen via text and the digital world we live in. And so you're right. We've put boundaries and rules into place. They're from a time past and not today. Yeah. So having your spouse have access to your phone would probably be a much more applicable boundary than not driving in a car with a, and especially, you know, sometimes when I'm brave, I'll say, trust me, my husband rather me ride with any missionary than an Uber driver. Yeah, no, that's (laughs) bottom line is we got to get somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> makes perfect sense. So I see uh, some of the Uber rides I've been in around the world. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've been in some scary ones. So anyway, thank you. And I and brothers still love me. If you really grammar rule. <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's a relevant conversation that needs to yes. happen. And I appreciate your courage and I appreciate your openness and your honesty and your transparency, yeah. because I think it's something that we do need to think about, something we do need to address. And yeah, I appreciate that. Because as you pointed out, the ones that you said it's the female leaders. They're the ones that are getting shorted. They're the one that are getting slighted. And maybe it's intentional or not intentional. I don't want to assign motives, but at the same time, it's we're still responsible and we still need yeah. to take responsibility for it. So what counsel would you give women today concerning their leadership development? Yeah, I would say, like I mentioned before, like you said, sometimes our, whether it's a Billy Graham rule, but as we grow in leadership, we often mentor men, mentor men, women, mentor women. And so then women, the skill sets then are put into genders. And so men are mentoring kind of gender specific ministry things and women are talking about the home and this kind of thing. But when that happens, then young women are put into niches. And so what I would tell young women, is to fight for holistic mentoring and to fight holistic ministry. So I'll give you a couple examples of this in in more the church world than the missionary world. But when I work with young women who are, let's say like 22 years old, and they're like, oh, I feel called to youth ministry. Okay. So I may want to be a youth pastor. Before I turn around 
The young man is the youth intern. The young woman is the youth assistant. Okay. And very soon, the woman is trained in administrative skills. Maybe in the AGWM world, they're doing all the reporting, which takes like half of your life. Right. So they start getting very trained in administration, in background roles, even though their passion, I want to be a youth pastor. Well, then the young man is trained holistically. He's giving opportunities to speak. He's given opportunities to step into more what we would consider ministry roles so that by the time they're 35, even though they started with the same passions, they've been trained differently. Women often get niched into ministry and don't train holistically. So what I tell young women now is don't let that happen. You talked about competencies. Identify those competencies that leaders need. And you know, as missionaries, we need public microphone skills to raise money and to tell our stories, whether it's through writing or through speaking. And sometimes women who are either don't see other women doing it or because they don't like to be on a mic, they'll say, I don't want to do that. And we give them permission to. Because they're like, okay, well, your husband can do it, especially in a married couple. Single women have to do it all. But if you're married, oftentimes you get niched. And so I just say, as a young woman, own your holistic training and find opportunities. Even if your church doesn't give it to you, find opportunities in the world. Join organizations that will let you lead men, that will let you lead teams so that you know how to lead a board and don't say, well, I don't know how because I've been you know, doing my ministry report for yeah. 10 years. So I say to young women, take ownership of your training and holistically, if you have the opportunity to get behind a mic and tell your story, tell it. Don't hand it to your husband. Don't hand it to somebody else. And can I tell you, not only will that you grow holistically, our churches need the female voice and we need our AGW missionaries because it helps our diversity. You said you have 50% female. We need diversity in the pulpits. And so you give us diversity. So I say that to young women, to men, I say, oh, check your teams. All statistics tell us that that is not the most creative team, the most flexible team, the most innovative team. So AGWM has to start checking themselves. What do our leadership teams look like? And why are our area directors 99% men when we have 50% women in our fields? So part of it is retraining ourselves to pay attention to our teams, not specifically because we just love women so much, because we know that team is going to be better with women because he's pouring his spirit out on his sons and his daughters. And there is nothing more Pentecostal than men and women leading together. And so it gives us an opportunity to actually know who we are. And who we are are Pentecostals that lead side by side as the spirit chooses. And anyway, thanks for letting me get on my soapbox. No, no, no. That's a good (laughs) word. No, it's a good word. You shared about young ladies put into a niche. Yeah. What can men that are in leadership positions, what can they be aware of? Or is there tendencies or advice that you would give them that maybe they don't see that they are putting females into niches? They're doing it unintentionally. 
Is there any advice or wisdom or counsel that you would give men? Yeah, I would say when you're mentoring and when you're thinking like, let's just say you're field moderator. Okay, so in AGWM, you have your leaderships or you have your live dead team leaders, your platform leaders. Okay, so when you step into your first level of leadership in AGWM, you are starting to think who's going to replace me. That's what we do as leaders, or at least we should. We should always be thinking who's going to replace me. So as you're thinking that, you're probably going to be developing those people the most. You're going to give them relational time. You're going to be thinking, man, this person, I see gifts. So my thing is don't always think the young men in your movement, pay attention to the young women, because can I tell you when Joanne Butrin retires, AGWM could be desperate to find a female replacement because we haven't been looking at our pipeline. And so you can't start at the top. Okay. Because we have to train people holistically and it starts at the bottom, not the top. And so when we start paying attention, trust me, I know your women. You have fantastic women leaders. I've just been working with one of the young women in Egypt. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this woman can change the country. And thinking about, yes, you lead in very patriotic worlds, but AGWM is not patriarchal. It's Pentecostal. And good word. So That's a good word. Tension. So just because, and I'm telling you as a female, I will go anywhere in the world and put a headdress on. I will contextualize. I will walk 10 steps behind my husband. I will do any of things for the sake of the gospel, but I shouldn't have to do that in my AGWM Pentecostal Assembly of God movement, where my voice has been prophesied on just as much as a man's. So you got to start at the entry level, paying attention to skills. And let me tell you, you have women that can run areas all over your place. Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated by the fantastic leaders that you have. And so paying attention to, yes, you might have to walk 10 steps behind your spouse, or you may have to rely as a single woman on a man in your society to give you a voice and a place, but not an AGWM. We need you. We need your voice. We need your passion. We need your skills. So where is a place for you? Start at entry level. And Uh, from now, you're going to look so different. That's exciting. That's exciting. I appreciate your passion and that it's palpable. It's obvious and it's exciting. (laughs) So what are some things that you're encouraged by? Some wins that you're seeing? We started off with criticism, which is kind of a tough question, but what are some things now that you look in the present and the future that you say, I'm encouraged by this. I'm excited about this going forward. So, I mean, I am so excited about the World Mission Summit. (laughs) Okay. I'm excited. Have you been before, Aaron, to one of the... Unfortunately, I have not. I will be there at this one, but I've not been yet. It's a win. We're praying for 8,000. We had 6,000 at our last, and there's such an energy toward our students and the nations. I feel like my goal in Chi Alpha 25 years ago was to normalize missions to where it wasn't like the exceptional. It was the kind of average. Okay. And I'm very excited to see missions becoming average in a good way. That's when awesome. a person steps out of one of our Chi Alpha meetings and says, hey, I'm called to Egypt. Okay, well, let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's get you in the pipeline. Right. You know, I'm called to South Africa. I'm called to Mozambique to work down there with the Marlins. It's becoming 
average. And that is a win to me from the global missions perspective. And I could not be more thrilled that we're that's, making movement. That's exciting. To formalize, you know, going to the nations. For female leaders, what are you excited about for female leaders? Do you see the for, future brighter? Do you think you've talked about Doug Clay and his desire? Yeah. Does that give you encouragement? What word would you share for our female and our male yeah. listeners about female leadership? Yeah, for, For our female leadership, for the network of women ministers, I have four core values, honor, authenticity, forgiveness, and hope. And so that honor word is something as I'm sharing with our female ministers, standing on an angry platform is not going to help anyone. And as female ministers, as we have a spirit of honor that we want to do this together with our brothers and brothers and sisters in Christ, I think that gives us a strong platform to move forward. Authenticity, I believe as we're honest about some of the things that happen as female ministers and have a voice to share that and both men and women that will help walk us through to forgiveness. As I talk to missionaries all across the world, women, they do have a bigger burden to bear, not only in our Christian circles, but then living in some of the parts of the world that you work in is very hard for a woman to have to keep her eyes down all the time. And, you know, it's a difficult, it's an extra cross to bear in in many, you know, woman in many of these places you live and work and dwell. And so that forgiveness piece, I think women who have chosen to live in your parts of the world, learning to forgive, especially men, because it's just so constant. I think that makes me hopeful as we're learning the power of forgiveness to not like live in our offense, but we're different. (laughs) We can forgive at every level. And all of those things, honor, authenticity, forgiveness makes me hopeful. Having leaders like I mentioned, Doug Clay, I work with Jim Bradford. So I feel like the spirit of advocacy is growing among us. And as I talk to men, I say this, I say, you know what? Women in ministry needs to be shouted from the mountaintops, not hid under a bushel. Hmm. Because I believe in the next decade, you guys, you know, Missions World, we talk about contextualization. Can I tell you platforms of all men in America is the most uncontextualized platform you could ever have, a platform of 10 white men. So contextualization demands it. That's our hope. Contextualization demands diversity. Pentecost demands diversity. And I see a spirit among our men to say, wow, this is an opportunity. Can I, oh, I just have to say this exciting thing. I just talked to, I'm going to say his name incorrectly, and I'm sorry to do this on a podcast, but I believe it's Jim Delaney. He is our new director for chaplaincy. Okay. Military chaplains, an amazing, brilliant man of God. And he came to me recently and he said, Crystal, I have so many quotas to meet. If I can get female chaplains, I will get them in high places because the Assemblies of God is the only conservative denomination that is commissioning female chaplains. Hmm. What an amazing, these are the kind of stories we need to tell that we are Pentecostal. So I am extremely hopeful. I see advocacy growing. I see young women stepping into destiny. I see 
50% of your missionaries being young women and God having a plan with that. It's not a second thought is Iran is being led by female ministers. They're not a second thought or an accident for what God has for the next decade of mission. So I'm extremely hopeful and I do believe our best days are ahead. That's exciting. Would you pray for our audience and pray that God will strengthen us, the male listeners, that God will help us to open our eyes on how we can help and how we can see where we might be putting females into niches and we will become better mentors and better leaders and pray for our female leaders. The hope that you and passion that you have shared will instill them and encourage them today. Yes. Heavenly Father, what a honor it is to get to share even through this broadcast. I have so many pictures in my mind of my good friends that are missionaries in Africa and all over the world that are friends of Africa. And I have such a love and affinity for God, the work that they're doing and God allowing me to somehow be a part of it. So God, today I pray that your blessing overwhelms them, that your favor rests upon them in every area of their life, in their emotions, in their spirit, Lord God, in their physical bodies. Let your favor rest upon them. Heavenly Father, as we have talked about issues of women in ministry and men in ministry and how we can work side by side, I do pray for our women, Lord, that are bearing a unique cross working in parts of the world, Lord, that sometimes their voice isn't valued in the same way, but yet, God, you are using them so significantly in humility. And God, the seeds that they are sowing in humility, Lord Jesus, are turning into fruitfulness for your kingdom. And so, Jesus, today, I celebrate their sacrifice, Father, and I pray that the cross that they're bearing in their communities bring great, great fruitfulness, Lord Jesus, that they will see and that the generations will see. Also, God, I pray as they work within their Assemblies of God and AG World Missions family, Lord Jesus, God, that they will stand into platforms where their voice, their ideas are valued, Lord God. Father, that they find place for God, the passions that you are churning in their heart and that they're dreaming deep in their belly, Lord Jesus, that God, you will help them find place and platform for all that you are doing in them. And Heavenly Father, I do pray for our great men of God that you have called into mission, Lord Jesus. God, as you've called them to work side by side with their spouses, with other single ministers, Lord Jesus, God, I thank you for the advocacy and the champions that they are for us, Lord God. I have felt so championed by my male brothers. And God, I pray for the sake of the kingdom that you will let advocacy, God, seeds of advocacy, just find their place in their hearts and spirits, Lord Jesus, knowing that we're better together, that Pentecost grows in the soil of diversity as we work alongside our ethnically diverse brothers and sisters and our men and women working together, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that and I praise you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I knew you would not be disappointed with our time with Crystal Martin, a phenomenal female leader, very insightful, full of wisdom. It was great for me just to learn from her as you gathered in the interview. She's full of passion. She's full of insight and she's a leader and you can feel that and it's evident as she communicates, as she's processed, very insightful, very highly intelligent and very insightful and sees things from a different angle. Really helped me learn and see some of the blind spots that I have when it comes to leadership and self-leadership and what that looks like in my life. And I appreciate her. I'm thankful for her. 
thankful her, giving her time for us to learn from her and to grow and then to begin to put some of the things into action. So my challenge for each of us is in the coming days and coming weeks for us to begin to process and think about what am I doing personally that may be impeding others or putting others in a niche or what am I doing to actually help others grow into leadership. When we see leadership potential in somebody or someone else, what am I doing to help them grow in that area and encourage them and not be a barrier and a block for them? Also, the idea of the, you know, the Billy Graham rule and what that looks like today in a digital world we live in. Most affairs, most of stepping over the lines is not happening in a Cracker Barrel or in, in the front seat of a car, but most of that begins via text, WhatsApp, Facebook, Messenger, and those type things. Instagram versus what the Billy Graham rule. It was good 50 or 60 years ago, but times have changed, relationships have changed, norms have changed, and what that looks like for today. And so I think there you could take some valuable lessons on your team, whether that's a business team, a missional team, a pastoral team, or in your family, take some lessons and some key points from what Crystal shared with us on her insights and put it into action in your life and in your mission. So looking forward to the next episode, which will be season one, episode number six with Pastor Mark Lehman. If you do not know him, loves missions, loves missionary, probably one of the most phenomenal pastoral hearts of anybody that I know. He really knows how to care for people. And so that's what we're going to talk with him and learn from him about is people care and the lessons he's learned over his all his years in ministry. He's very transparent as he shares about his early days in ministry, how he's grown from that. And then he's going to talk about some areas that he's put into practice in his life on spiritual discipline talking about fasting and prayer, which is an important part of their church and their church life. You're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be insightful. It's going to be impactful. And it's going to be encouraging to you to learn from someone with wisdom. Like we learned from Crystal this week, another person who brings into the room wisdom and excitement and care is Pastor Mark Lehman. So providing clarity and insight in life and mission, the Clarity Podcast. Till next time, thanks again.